Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The Bowery Boys, episode 62, Shea Stadium. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. Tom is not here this week. This fall we'll see the closure of two major sports stadiums here in New York City. Everyone is, of course, more focused on the closure of old Yankee Stadium, which opened in 1923, the site of a great many classic sports moments and, showing no bias, I swear, home of the greatest team in American sports history. In comparison, there's a lot less sex appeal associated with that other stadium closure, Shea Stadium, home of the New York Mets and situated in Queens, sitting next to Flushing Meadow Park. The Mets are moving to a new field next year, the new City Field. That's C-I-T-I as in Citibank. But believe it or not, they leave behind an old stadium with history no less dramatic than its more popular sister stadium in the Bronx. So let's take a few minutes to reflect on the history of this unsung old 1960s stalwart, a Robert Moses creation that's seen its share of sports victories and failures, the biggest icons of rock music, and one very, very mysterious black cat. But first, listen to this. Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife, guaranteed to have a time of your life, because the Mets are really sucking the ball, knocking those home runs over the wall. East side, west side, everybody's coming down to meet the M-E-T-S Mets of Believe it or not, that was the original Meet the Mets 1962 theme song that was created uh, to introduce the world to the New York Mets. Now, unless you're a very knowledgeable sports fan, your first question is probably, who is the Shea in Shea Stadium? Well, to answer that question, we do have to back up a little to speak about perhaps the most mythical team to ever play sports in New York City, the Brooklyn Dodgers. A version of the Dodgers formed way back in 1883 and swiftly became Major League Baseball's greatest forces in the fledgling new National League, settling down at Ebbets Field in 1913 and providing New Yorkers with exciting rivalries between them and the city's other two ball teams, the Yankees and the New York Giants, in the days well before the football team of the same name. Among Brooklynites, the Dodgers were as well known for their heartbreaking defeats as for any of their actual wins and would make history later by hiring the very first African-American player, Jackie Robinson. 
By the 1950s, however, Ebbets Field, never a real adequate arena in the first place, was in a terrible state of disrepair, and the Dodgers' owner, Walter O'Malley, was scouting out places in Brooklyn to build a brand new field. Unfortunately for him, O'Malley became ensnared in the web of the biggest predator of New York real estate, that would be Parks Commissioner Robert Moses, who in the 1950s was at the height of his powers. Moses was looking for something to jumpstart his languishing pet project in Queens, the Flushing Meadows Park, which Moses had transformed in the 1930s from a gigantic ash dump to the location of the 1939-1940 World's Fair. Now, others had been suggesting a stadium for the park almost as soon as the fair was through, and Moses saw the concept of a city-owned baseball field as a key kind of stimulating interest in Flushing Meadows. Meanwhile, O'Malley had suggested a new home for the Dodgers at the intersection of Flatbush and Atlantic Avenues. You know, in Brooklyn, they were the Brooklyn Dodgers. However, Moses rejected it and offered up Flushing Meadows in Queens. Well, O'Malley molded over, and realizing he was never going to maneuver around Moses, he chose a third option. California. So in 1957, after their last game on September 24th, the Dodgers headed out west and became the Los Angeles Dodgers, adding insult to injury the very same year the New York Giants, the baseball Giants, announced that they too were leaving to California to become the San Francisco Giants. So by 1958, New York went from a three-team city to just one, the Yankees representing the American League, and no teams left to represent the National League. And so here is where I finally introduce our namesake of Shea Stadium, William A. Shea, a prominent corporate lawyer and former owner of a football franchise up in Boston. In 1960, New York, who was still reeling from losing two-thirds of its baseball might, wanted a National League team. And so Mayor Robert Wagner organized a committee to lure a team, any team, back to New York. Spearheading this committee, then, was Shea, who immediately began with attempts to bring previously existing National League teams to New York. I mean, he figured California did it to us. Let's do it to somebody else. They tried Cincinnati. They tried Pittsburgh. They tried Philadelphia. No luck with any of them. And meanwhile, the heads of the major league would just wouldn't entertain the notion of adding any more teams at this time. So that's when Shea proposed what must have seemed like a very daring bluff. That's fine. You don't want us in your league. We'll make our own league. And thus was born, at least for a very tiny moment, a third baseball league called the Continental League. Not only would this create a new team outside the regular major league circuit, but it would also include teams from Denver, Toronto, Minneapolis, and several other cities were already lined up. To legitimize it, Shea brought in a former Dodgers general manager, Branch Rickey, to help even make the announcement. All of this was just a little bit too much for Major League Baseball, who finally caved in in 1962 and expanded the leagues to include the formation of four new baseball teams, including a brand new team for the city, the New York Metropolitans, in honor of an old 19th century team, and forever to be known by its rather less foppish title, the New York Mets. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, 
Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states in Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. So now New York had that second baseball team and very anxious to get its own home. In fact, for the first two years of its existence, the Mets played on the old polo grounds in Upper Manhattan's Washington Heights, the last in a series of these old sporting arenas that had a lot of nostalgic value for a lot of New Yorkers. But by 1962, it really wasn't a place for a Major League Baseball team to be playing. In fact, the polo grounds would be torn down the moment the Mets moved out. So naturally, it's time for Robert Moses to sweep back into our story at this time. He now had another reason to build a new ballpark in Flushing Meadows. The 1964-65 World's Fair was on the horizon and would literally be next door to where the new stadium would be built and which would be called the Flushing Meadows Municipal Stadium. Now, if you want an idea of how important this would be for Moses, when the ground broke on October 28, 1961, Moses gave a speech that began, quote, I am limp with the enthusiasm of victory, unquote. And also, when the Emperor Titus opened the Colosseum in 80 AD, he could have felt no happier. But despite all of Robert's enthusiasm, it would take two years to build the stadium thanks to many building delays and a few inconvenient labor strikes. Later, plans for a massive retractable glass dome were abandoned. However, many of the stadium's finer touches remained in place, including 21 escalators, several on-site restaurants, and one of the biggest scoreboards in all of baseball. It also had the distinction of becoming the second stadium built in the United States that functioned as a baseball and a football field by using retracting motor-controlled stands. This was pretty important as it could remain open all year round, and it just so happened that the newly formed New York Jets football team also needed a home too, so it was the home for the Jets and the Mets. The entire stadium would cost $31 million and would end up seating 55,300 people for baseball and just a slightly few more for football games. So during this time, one of the members of William Shea's old committee, a man named Bernard Gimble, owner of one of New York's more popular department stores, Gimble's, well, he proposed that the new stadium be named for Shea, symbolically the father of the Mets and one of the reasons that the stadium was finally being built. And so on April 16th, 1964... The doors flew up into the new stadium, now Shea Stadium, and the field was appropriately baptized by Shea himself, using waters from the Harlem River, nearby where the polo field once stood, and a bottle from the closest body of water to Old Ebbets Field, that being the water of the Gowanus River. Now, I'm not real sure how safe it is to pour a bottle of water from the Gowanus River over anything, but I'm all for symbolism. So there you have it. That's what Shea did. And so the next day, the New York Mets played their very first game at their new home. 
they played the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they lost 4-3. to The Mets would not exactly grace their home with too many cries of victory, at least in the early years. The New York Jets, meanwhile, would be luckier, winning their first game on the new stand-retracted football field against the Denver Broncos on September 12, 1964. The Mets finally prevailed during their 1969 season, the year of the Miracle Mets, as they were called, sweeping into the World Series that year as underdogs against the Baltimore Orioles. Despite the naysayers, the Mets brushed past the Orioles and won their very first World Series after five games. Mets superstar Tom Seaver even said of this particular season, God is living in New York and he's a Mets fan. But perhaps Satan is also a Mets fan. Just a month earlier that year, 1969, the Mets played the Chicago Cubs, who had assembled their strongest team in years and were anxious to break that legendary cursed losing streak. However, on September 9th, with the Cubs in the lead and player Ron Santo on bat, all of a sudden, a black cat emerged from the playing field, did a circle around Santo, shuffled around the Cubs' dugout a little bit, and then, just as mysteriously as it had appeared, vanished into the stands. The Cubs went on to lose that game and completely stumble in the final stats, making way for the Mets to win the World Series that year. Mostly, Shea's main highlight in the 1960s wasn't sports-related at all. In August 15, 1965, and again later in 1966, the Beatles played to exploding crowds of weak-kneed music fans, introduced by Ed Sullivan and protected by a force of nearly 2,000 security guards. You know those classic images of fainting teenagers maniacally wailing and being carried out on stretchers? Well, most likely they're probably from this concert. A scene of such pandemonium, the band was shuttled by armored car into the stadium. Most shocking is the fact that the entire concert lasted all of 30 minutes. And by the way, this just wasn't a concert in an outdoor arena. This was the very first stadium concert and actually sets a box office record that would last all the way into the mid-70s. Later throughout the coming years, Shea would host some of New York's most memorable rock concerts, including Janis Joplin in 1970, The Who and The Clash in 1982, Simon and Garfunkel and The Police in 1983, and The Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen in the 1990s. Another less raunchy rock star by the name of Pope John Paul II made his stadium bow right here at Shea in 1979. Now, I'm not going to detail the Mets' sometimes painful, occasionally victorious history here because I think they deserve their own podcast sometime in the future. But to summarize, the Mets basically spent most of the 1970s in the proverbial gutter and even had to suffer through a greater indignity during 1974 and 1975 when the Yankees moved in temporarily while their stadium was being renovated. The Mets didn't even truly get to feel at home at Shea until their roommates, the Jets, finally moved out in 1983. Soon after, through some major renovations throughout the 80s, they increased the seating size and repainted the outside to that one solid distinctive Mets blue. On top of its legendary 1969 victory, the Mets would bring a total of three more World Series to its home, winning only one more in 1986. Most painful would be their 2000 attempt at the series trophy to be thwarted by their arch enemies from across town, the Yankees. However, after almost 45 years, it was time to finally find the Mets a new field, but they won't have to go very far for it. Their new home, City Field, is currently being built in the parking lot of the old building, 
and is slated to be up and running by April 2009. Now, like the new Yankee Stadium that's being built right now, City Field will actually hold substantially fewer people than the older stadium, in this case about 13,000 fewer people. And in what must be some sort of subtle jab at both O'Malley, the original owner of the Dodgers, and Robert Moses, the new home of the Mets is being modeled after Ebbets Field, the old home the Brooklyn Dodgers left to go to Los Angeles because they didn't want to go to Queens in the first place. I'm wondering if we could start a campaign to lure the Dodgers back from Los Angeles. Now, although nostalgists like me, and like I assume you, since you're listening to a podcast about New York City history, you hate to see places like this go, but on a practical level, it looked like Shea's innings were pretty much up anyway. According to a recent survey on ESPN.com, the stadium was ranked 27th out of 30 major league stadiums under the header, Shea is a shame. By the way, if you're listening to the show shortly after the release date, you still have a chance to get tickets for the final game at Shea, and that is if you can find them. After that, unfortunately, if you want to relive it, you'll just have to uh, visit our website, for instance, uh, BoweryBoysPodcast.com, where we'll have some photographs of the good old days. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to my short history of Shea Stadium. Tom's back next week, and playing you out, I'll play a little bit more of the Meet the Mets theme song. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.